Arizona's news station, KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. You know, when it comes to hot button topics in the state of Arizona, guns is always there. Immigration is always there. And so is education. So when the governor talked yesterday in his state of the state address about education in Arizona, People listen, you know, his 20 by 20 plan and the whole Red for Ed movement that got the 2020 plan in place. But we all can still talk about how the money that was taken from education in the Great Recession has never been put back. And how is that hurting our schools? Well, there is a group out there that is trying yet again to fund education. It's called Invest in Ed. And the way they're going about doing it is the same way they went about doing it two years ago. And that is through trying to get a ballot initiative on, well, initiative on the ballot in November that would tax the rich to pay for education. And Barry Markson, again, Barry's in all week as Bruce St. James is off. I don't like it. Yeah, well, I don't like it either. Um, this is not great tax policy. You don't you don't want the people at the at the referendum at the ballot box deciding on tax policy. It should be done by our leaders. It should be done by the governor and the legislature and figuring this out. But Pamela, th- this is in my mind the reason we have this is because we've now gone ten, twelve years without properly funding education, and the, the governor's trying to fix that. There's a lot of money that's gone back into education, into our annual uh, education allocation uh, from the legislature over the last several years. They're trying to fix it. The twenty by twenty was is, is a step in that direction. But the fact, the bottom line is, where Arizona is still not even funding per student revenue. At the 2008 level, we're less than that. So we haven't even funded at the level we were 10, 12 years ago. No no match for inflation, nothing re- representing that there's additional costs and expenses. And I think the reason we're seeing this from the teachers union again, uh, and from I think from a lot of people are going to support this, the reason we see this tax the rich, tax the rich is, number one, this will be easier to pass in their mind. But really, it's because the legislature and the leaders in this state have not really assume their their responsibility for properly funding education. If we had, this wouldn't exist. I agree with you. You don't see this in states that properly fund their K-12 through education. You see it in states that don't. I agree that it is our leaders and our state lawmakers, it is their responsibility for increasing taxes if taxes are going to be increased in our state. But they've shirked that responsibility in properly funding education. So it's now left up to the people right. to put this kind of initiative on the ballot. Now, will Arizonans vote in favor of this? I don't really remember what the polling data was telling us I, back in 2018 I was before talk- it got yanked. Yeah, I was talking to a lot of people who were focused focused on this at the time, and they were terrified of it. Because, now remember, two years ago, it's red for red. People were very much invested in this issue. Uh, and it's this is an easy thing. It's tax people who are individually making 250000 or by couples over $500,000 a year. That's not a very large percentage of people in Arizona. So for 98, let's call it 98% of the state, this doesn't touch them. So they get a bunch of money but that But that makes comes it okay? In. Well, for a lot of people, it does, because you get the funding for education we're supposed to have. It's not coming out of their pocket, and, it, and, it's, and it's taken care of against people who they think can pay more. I, I don't like it. And I don't like it for the, the the reason you don't just target a small group of individuals. Why? Because you can. And the support that I think they may garner, at least to get the the initiative on the ballot, because, you know, they, they've got to get, gather all these signatures before it, it could actually get on the ballot for us to vote on it. But 
just because I don't fall into that tax bracket, so to speak, then you know what? I'm going to sign this because somebody needs to pay. No, we all do. We all benefit from a robust education right, but, but, system but, in the state of Arizona. But we're not. So paying. we all should be. We all should be. But we're not. So what's the answer? What's the actual the real answer world is not, solution? The, the, the real world solution is not just to go after rich people because they're but, rich. But then the answer then the answer then is we're just going to leave it the way it is. It's no, the status I think, quo. I think that we've got a billion dollar rainy day fund out there right now that we could tap into and give allocations to state schools. And it doesn't have it, to be a recurring fee year over year over year. Well, it does. Because no, not necessarily. You can start chipping away. I mean, this has been in the court system in, in Arizona for about 10 years now, trying to re populate, if you will, the bucket of money that the state legislator rated during the downward in, in the, the recession, you've got to put some of that money back. But it's an annual thing. It's not a, it's not a bucket of money where money sits in it every year. It's a you, you, it's how much money we spend. Because it's year. all in the general fund. I know right. we don't have necessarily just an education fund and in, in our state lawmakers keep rating it and putting it wherever it wants to go. There are other things that you can do to make a difference in our education system. And I'm not a policy wonk. Never will I be one. And I'm not running for state legislature. I'm simply a human being and a taxpayer in the state of Arizona who cannot side with just telling rich people, hey, you're making a lot of money and you're successful, so you carry the yeah. burden when we all benefit from fixing it. I, I agree with you, by the way, but my more my larger concern is that when you make tax policy this way, it affects a lot of things that most likely this teachers union is not considering. What What uh, is a business owner that was going to move his, his company here from, uh, from California still going to come when his tax rate just went up almost double than what it is right now. Uh, are we, is it going to limit the number of jobs or higher paying jobs that come to Arizona? These are the, the issues that should be considered. And what really bothers me, I don't, I don't like this bill. I don't like that it comes up and I don't know that I would vote for it. But what bothers me is that we're even in this position. This was brought up two years ago. We saw the threat. Business leaders saw it. The Arizona Chamber of Commerce saw it. The governor saw it. And everybody started to react to that. It was thrown out by the Supreme Court on a legal technicality. We knew this was going to come again. And in the, in the last two years, what has happened? Now, 2020 happened. I agree. That did happen. But no other steps have been taking to formally better fund education in the long term. And where's the accountability and, then for and, that? Well, well, apparently there isn't. Well, there is some. There's been some change in the legislature. There's a few less Republicans in the legislature than there used to be. And frankly, the 2020 thing is a result of things like this, where the public and the teachers were saying, hey, fund education more or we're going to do it for you. So this is you're starting to see that change. I just wish the leadership down at the legislature would say, instead of doing this, you don't you don't have to do this because here's our plan. Here's our but two year, so five year, ten year plan. for our state lawmakers, like you said, to shirk the responsibility, not have to dip their toe in any sort of conversation about raising taxes because they're all there for self-preservation and to get reelected and good luck getting reelected by raising taxes. So I actually think that the state lawmakers are happy about this. Let's get the people to put an initiative on the ballot. Let's get them to vote on it. Yeah. Let's have them tax the rich. It's not us doing it. Yeah. It's someone else and it's passing the buck when it's their responsibility to do it. I don't think they even need to raise taxes. We've been cutting taxes so much. I mean, back uh, when Jan Brewer was the governor when the economy was in the toilet, we did a, 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 a corporate tax cut at that time, which they said was going to drive more people to Arizona, more businesses to Arizona. It didn't seem to have that direct effect. I can't say one way or another whether it really did. That was three or four hundred or four hundred fifty million dollars a year in state tax revenue. That would be right there if that money was there now and put into schools. You wouldn't see this bill. You wouldn't need to see the bill and or this uh, referendum. And that's what I'm talking about. When you talk about leadership, you have to do this balance. It isn't raising taxes. It's maybe 
not cutting taxes. It's maybe putting money in different places. And I say that, Pamela, with the understanding and in all fairness, 50% of our revenue in Arizona of the general fund, 50% goes to K-12 education. It's a huge chunk of our budget. And I understand the desire not to increase it too much so that we have to start knocking it down again when the next recession comes. But, you know, you talk about the, the taxes that have been cut. They've already been cut. They've already, like, how so do you put back increase. what's not there? Yeah, you revoke, you would have to you re- increase it. You revoke the cut. And and, well, <laughs> and that's a tax increase. Yeah, you true. say you revoke a, a, a cut. I think that's, that's, that, that's very creative yes. language. It's a tax increase. You're right. And so how have we, you know, Arizonans been carrying more of a burden because of the, the state legislator's inability to effectively allocate money for our public education yeah. system. We have our school districts that are routinely coming to us within the community asking for bonds, asking for overrides, asking for more money because the school districts are funded by three buckets. They're funded by the federal government, they're funded by the state government, and they're funded by the community, your local kind of government there. And so you, you've got communities that are constantly saying, yes, we will pass that bond. We will pass the override because we know that our schools need this money. It's time for the state to recognize that as well. I think I, I just wish that the state would take the lead on these issues and figure out a way to properly fund it so that you don't have teachers unions. You don't have people stepping up and saying we're not educating our kids as best we can. And this is a, this is a necessity. And that that's what bothers me more than anything else. And now the business community is going to be faced with this. You're going to see the Chamber of Commerce and business leaders freaking out about this because it's not this is not a good thing for our economy. No, it's, but not. it's the law of unintended consequences. Right. Your inability to effectively lead has led others to take dramatic right. steps. And that's where we're at and right I, now. I think what we found is that a lot of uh, the Republican leadership down there, they've met, they've talked about this, and I think what they've decided is it'll be e- we'd rather knock down this bill and get it to defeated than actually do the funding and come up with other alternatives to funding for our education system. But there's no guarantee it'll be defeated. Well, that they're rolling the dice. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge, huge risk for the state's economy and for themselves. Well, you know what? Um, others out there turning our focus to the sports world are rolling the dice. And you know what? They lost. We're talking about the biggest cheating scandal pretty much in baseball since steroids. Remember all that? At first they got away with it, but now having to pay the piper. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Oh, right now I've got my baseball bros in here. We've got Barry Marks in as well as super producer Stevie Z. Why are we talking baseball right now? The scandal, the cheating scandal that has rocked MLB. Not exactly sure what we're talking about. Let's fill you in. A camera in center field, an illicit feed in a monitor next to the dugout, uh, decoding of not just the signs themselves, but the sequences that teams use to indicate now which signs actually the pitcher should watch and then banging on a trash can with a baseball bat or a Theragun, which is a massage tool that's used in clubhouses to relay to the player at the plate in real time what pitch is coming. Barry, I know that you follow baseball closely. You know, I think that this is a huge scandal since steroids and Barry Bonds and Sammy Tillis and all of that. How do you see it? Yeah, no, this is a big one. And not 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 by itself uh, 
the result of that the Astros won the World Series two years ago and were in it last year. So how much has this cheating helped them? I mean, certainly for a batter to know what pitch is coming, that's huge. I mean, for these every, Major League Baseball players, they can hit a fastball. They can hit a curveball. You tell them it's coming, they'll hit it. But the, the part of the pitcher's repertoire is not is, is that guesswork. We don't know what's going to happen. So this was gigantic. Uh, I, I think for baseball, this is it's damaging, and I'm happy to see the league take such a strong stance against this uh, because once you lose that that integrity of the game, once you lose that honor in sports, I think it's very damaging to the league itself. Yeah, so the league suspended the GM and the manager of of the Astros, and then Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, came out and said this. I'm going above and beyond MLB's penalty. Today, I have made the decision to dismiss A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunau. Steve, uh, Super Producer Stevie Z, does the punishment fit the crime? Well, what's interesting is you could make the case either way. You could make the case that it was a strong punishment because Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, doesn't want this to linger like the steroid era still is. I mean, we're still dealing with the ramifications of that. He wanted to make it strong punishment for the Astros. We're still waiting to see, by the way, what the punishment will be for a guy named Alex Cora, who's now the manager, basically the head coach of the Boston Red Sox, who also won the World Series in 2018. He's the one who concocted this, and then the players kind of implemented it. So you could argue that it's strong against the organizations and the coaching staffs, but we didn't see any punishment for the players, which is super interesting because the investigation came back and said that the players were the ones implementing this. So, okay, so those that were actually doing it got away with it, and those that should have been kind of cracking down on it are the ones that that lost their jobs. Yeah, I mean, they're punishing the boss, basically, is what it comes down to. But but Steve's right. I mean, this was all players. The league said there were too many players involved for them to figure out who had larger roles, who had smaller roles, although they seem to know, like, Carlos Beltran, for example, had a larger role. He's now the manager of the Mets. The fact that they're not doing any punishment for the players, I think, is, is not good. There should have been some suspensions, maybe not a year, but show the players also that this can't keep happening. Again, we've got super producer Stevie Z in here as well as Barry Markson, and and Steve has worked over on the sports side, Arizona sports, for a long period of time, and I know that you're a huge baseball fan. Nerd, I believe is the word. Okay, you know what, I was trying to be (laughs) kind, but stepping back a second from, you know, baseball and getting so in the weeds of this player and that player and and this coach and so on and so forth, how do you see this overall as somebody who truly loves the game? How do you see this is impacting it moving forward. Well, it's interesting because this century, the 21st century, is really like the information era. In a lot of ways in life, we we can all agree that there's more out there than there's ever been before. The same is true in sports. At some point, it became less about I'm faster than you, I'm stronger than you, I hit better than you, I pitch better than you. And eventually teams got to the point where they realized technology being implemented in sports, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, any team sport, that's their advantage now is I can use that technology, possibly even secretively, although it, they're getting busted for it now, to well, gain sl- that advantage. But slam it on a trash can, aren't you going to be get, you know, drawing a little, little attention to yourself? It is a little barbaric, you'd, you'd yeah. Think, you'd think they would have picked that up. But you know, this is something that's been going on in sports forever. They're always trying to get that edge. There's always been cheating in baseball, trying to steal signs, the pitchers putting some on their fingers. There's always something there. And I'll tell you, taking it back to something local, you know, I coached uh, Little League, in essence, baseball for a long time. I was a president of a league. And we saw everything. And you'd be shocked at eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds, parents trying to flout the rules, pushing the rules to an envelope, not to better develop the kids as baseball players, but to win a game where nine-year-olds were playing. And we would see that there. So if you see it there, where it doesn't matter at all, it's not somebody's job, it's not your life, how you make your money. 
am I surprised to see that baseball players are doing this? No, they've been doing What's it What's funny is to see how simplistic this strategy was. Yeah. We're going to film their signals and then bang on a trash can a certain amount of times to let them know, like, fastball, curveball. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so simple. It's like what you could have done in, in Little League. You could have had your best friend stand behind center field fence and yeah. say, hey, they're throwing you a fastball. Yeah. That's what Major League Baseball players were doing. Which just amazes me is, again, the, the smashing of a trash can. Did nobody <laughs> notice this? Did well, nobody like notice that they, they, I, there routinely is like somebody like, hitting a trash can in the dugout? I kind of wonder if they're doing it every batter, if they're picking their spots, or, or maybe they're doing every batter and everybody thinks Houston's just annoying and they I'm bang thinking, trash can cans. somebody <laughs> move that? Trash can? This isn't goodness. the end of it, by the way. We still have to see and uh, see how they punish Alex Cora, who's the manager of the Boston Red Sox. He could be banned for life. Yeah, it's going to it's going to get ugly. And the, the Astros, so by you're the way, saying this is just the beginning. The owner they found the owner didn't know anything about it, but they still uh, uh, took away first and second round draft picks from the Astros for two years. That's big too. Yeah, I think that there's going to be more on this story, and it just comes down to like the integrity of a game, not just baseball, but just sports in general. If you don't have that, then again, I stand by my. Everybody, just go watch the WWE, right? Because or the <laughs> WWE, yeah, it's it's all fake. Uh, what's more important, your privacy or catching bad guys? We've got a local story and a national story that highlight that very question. Next. Arizona's news station, KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. So you may have seen the story making the headlines right now about how the Attorney General, William Barr, is not too happy with Apple. Why? Well, because of the terrorist attack that that happened down in Florida, where a couple Navy men were shot and killed. There are a couple cell phones that the FBI wants to get into, and Apple's not helping them do it. Apple phones are encrypted. Even Apple can't get into them. And there's been this whole conversation about privacy as well as getting the bad guys, right? So that's kind of a a high-level conversation that we want to bring it down to more of a local level. And Barry Markson is in all week for Bruce St. James, who is out. And Barry, being an attorney, I kind of want to get his thoughts on this because here locally, we got to take you out to Chandler. And anytime you're in the East Valley, Barry, you know that uh, Waymo is out there, which is a self-driving company, a self-driving car company. I live in the East Valley. I see them all over the place. And in essence, what you've got with Waymo that... In all reality, I got to tell you, I never quite thought of it is a fleet of roaming surveillance cameras. Yeah, yeah, they're spying on us all the time. You know, it's so funny. I watch uh, TV shows now and they always say, you know, they're trying to find something that happened. Like, we'll go check and they check stores surrounding the surveillance cameras and stores. And and you think, well, that's interesting. Police really do that sort of thing, and now they can do it with these roaming cars. They have cameras on top. They're checking this stuff all the time, and we all carry our phone around with us, which is telling them where we are always. Unpacking all this for you, there's a real-world example of it that took place in Chandler last April. There was a hit-and-run accident, right? A guy was walking across the street, was 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 hit by a black Jeep. The guy that went to the hospital was in critical condition, fighting for his life, and the Jeep took off. Police got there, interviewed witnesses, went to the surveillance cameras at nearby businesses, trying to get the license plate of the person who, who right. hit this guy. No avail. Didn't get anywhere with it. Yeah. So you had a detective there that started thinking a bit outside of the box, and he wrote a warrant that would 
require Waymo to give them footage of any Waymo vehicle within a certain area at a certain time. A judge signed off on it. Waymo handed over the footage. Right. And they actually saw the black Jeep. But they didn't get the angle that had the license plate. Okay? So the same detective put on his thinking cap once again and wrote what's called a um, geofence warrant. This time to Google. And let me read you what this says. And you decipher this for me. Put, right. you, put your attorney hat on. I know it's going to be on later today, but put it on for me right now, Barry. All right. It says, this warrant was drafted in an attempt to identify a suspect in this case. The warrant would reveal persons in this designated area that had an active Google account. So from from like Chandler Boulevard to Ray Road to Dobson to Alma School, anybody right. in that area that has an active Google account, they were asking for their information to see if they were one of the suspects. Yeah, I, I don't know what the what the technology uh, words are that they use for this kind of stuff, but basically they, Google has a ton of information about us. So if you're using Waze or Google Maps, they know where you are. If you're doing a search on Google, uh, they know where you are. If you're on Yelp and you do the, the if your location services is on for any of these apps, then they know where you are. So my guess is that this subpoena goes to Google and says on this date within this parameter, these these uh, these dimensions of space. Tell us everybody that had uh, every Google user that was in that area. And there's a lot of information out there. And apparently, Google turns this stuff over when asked to when there's a court order. Now, they haven't done so yet in, in, in the Chandler case, but we know through the New York Times that this is something that has happened before. And when they they do get to that level, they will give the police agency um they don't identify you as, you know, Pamela Hughes or Barry no. Markson, but they, they give you a number. But they give you enough to figure it out. And and then they they allow the police to go, OK, well, these are the people we really want to focus on. And then Google will actually give them the names and, and yeah. to go and, and be investigated. And I think that this is something that people need to know about, because as as we we have these devices that literally we cannot function in society as we've created it right now without these devices i don't i think we lack the imagination for how much information we're giving over how that can easily be used and you get caught up in this dragnet not even know it yeah i think look i think we all are starting to realize more and more how much information we're giving to these companies and google is making billions of dollars selling that and advertising right but you don't think about it in a law enforcement setting and most of us would say take whatever you want if it helps you catch it from me, if it helps you catch a criminal, if it helps you catch a terrorist, open up the technology and go to town. But you don't know when you're going to be caught up in a dragnet. You don't know when you're going to be lumped in with other people while the police are looking at things. Maybe you do something that's a little on the edge of legality that you don't really think about as being illegal, and the police are looking for something else, but now they notice that. Are you concerned about that? And if you are, Apple, I'm not doing a commercial here, but Apple isn't helpful. This is why Bill Bill Barr, the uh, attorney general, he's mad at Apple because Apple created a system that's encrypted that even Apple can't break into. But okay, so Apple is one thing, but when you're looking at the tech giants of Google, when you're talking about active Google accounts, just because you can't remember the Gmail password that you created for an account four years ago, which I can't, are you (laughs) using Google Maps? Oh yeah, are you using? Ways. Different. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Are yeah. you using different apps? And we look at what these companies are collecting on us. For instance, my daughter, she has Google Classroom. 
In order for her to function as a fourth grader in her school, she has a Google account. So think about this. They're already creating a profile on my 10-year-old because the school requires it. Oh, it's incredible. When you turn on your computer and the ads pop up for something that you looked at a month ago or something that you thought about once, it's it's incredible what they have. But from a law enforcement standpoint, uh, what we're learning here is that most of these tech companies are cooperating, which I guess we want them to do. And the question you should be asking is, what do I need to turn off on my phone to maintain some privacy? Or which phone company do I want to deal with that provides me with privacy? I think it's even bigger than that, that you know, I'm not one for regulation, but this is this is an area that, that needs to start having some regulation because you can't function. And the idea that you're just willy-nilly handing over this information without knowing exactly how it's going to be used. If you want to help catch bad guys, I get that. But there's going to be a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is your own privacy. That's true. Maybe one of the reasons why you think you need to have your faith in humanity restored. I'm going to try. It's coming up next. You're on KTIR. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Yesterday, we had the governor give his state of the state speech. And frankly, I think it was one that he was happy to give because the state of Arizona is doing oh so well. Here, we're not just open for business. We're open for opportunity for everyone. As a result, we're now the number one inbound state in America. Yeah, and I think the governor's trying to also kind of enlarge the welcome sign to folks who want to move here to Arizona, particularly from maybe California, where taxes are super high and a lot of people are trying to get out from underneath them. So they're coming to Arizona and our economy is booming. We've got a billion dollars in the rainy day fund and the governor also making sure that everybody hears him when he says no new taxes. Yeah. his. Wait, what was that? Yeah. No new taxes. <laughs> it does a pretty good George uh, George Bush impression there. That's uh, pretty impressive. I will say, you know, the, the state is doing really well, and it's it's uh, it's fun to be the governor when things are going better. Yeah. Uh, you know, the governor did say one thing that I thought was interesting. He wants Arizona to be an example to other states. And you could hear that and say, well, that's a little condescending. But I will say that that's one of the things I really do credit Governor Ducey with. Think about when he came into office five years ago or so. We were a laughing stock often, right? We were on John Stewart was making fun of Arizona and all the late night still TV do. And it, but it, it was <laughs> but for a, different reasons. We had all these weird bills and the stuff we did. It was crazy. And Governor Ducey with the legislature really got that under control and stopped the craziness and focused on uh, treating the government a little more like a business and how do we right the ship? How do we get rid of a billion dollar deficit to now we have a billion dollar rainy day fund? And you have to give the governor a lot of credit. And so when he says, I want Arizona to be an example to other states, I hear that and say, at least we're not the laughing stock anymore. We're going in a direction where other states are looking at us and saying, let's emulate what Arizona is doing or Arizona did. That's it's, it's such a change for us in a very short amount of time. You have to give the governor credit, credit yeah, for do, that. Do you credit him for that? I really do. I, I don't know how he got the legislature under control or, or at least got them to stop letting every – Whack job put a put every kind of wacky bill. We saw out some there. wacky ones out there. Oh, they're still there. Oh but, my goodness! But, Do we, we talk about them oh, routinely here? Well, thank goodness because it gives us something to talk about. But it's not as bad as it used to be, and it doesn't get us the national attention. And they don't really go anywhere, right? The governor hasn't had a veto. Too many crazy bills. Sure, somebody will drop the bill, but it doesn't get a vote. It doesn't come out of committee. It just kind of dies a, a, a quick death. 
in the past, they'd be discussed, they'd be voted on, they'd go to the governor's desk. It, that doesn't happen anymore. And that's a good thing for Arizona. There are a lot of good things that are happening for Arizona that the governor took about an hour yesterday to highlight. And I would agree with you, Barry, that this was the state of the state speech he wanted to give. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? This is this was his victory lap. And you know what? I think you should take it. Yeah. There are a lot of positive things that have come out of it. Um, he talked about the, the one aspect that I, I kind of ruffled my feathers a bit because I didn't feel like he delivered the way that he was. Don't believe the hype, I guess, is, is another way of putting it. He talked last week about stay tuned to my state of the state when it comes to income taxes. And I want to cut income taxes in the state of Arizona. We're comp- competing with businesses in Nevada and we're competing with businesses in Texas that don't have any income tax. All of which is very true. But yesterday, when he spoke about income tax, he talked about cutting the income tax on the pensions for veterans. Very, very focused and microscopic and not at all what I was expecting yeah. when he hyped it up so much last week. Well, look, he, I, the governor wants to cut taxes. He, he, when he ran the first time, he talked about eliminating Arizona's income tax, which is fine, but you have to find other places to, to right. get the revenue. So I, I think what you were hoping for, Pamela, maybe we all were for, is, was an overall tax cut for everybody. That's what he made it sound like. Yeah, but you can't. He can't do that, and he understands I understand it that. because if you do that and you start cutting off hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in tax revenue, now what do we do? We just talked about. We're how asking we, that question right now we're, after we're, all the tax cuts we've had in the recent years. Right. I mean, we're not funding education enough. We're not funding our roads enough. We don't fund our prisons enough. I mean, there's a lot of things that still need financial help in Arizona. So more big tax cuts, they're not in the cards. What this governor likes to do and the legislature likes to do is just show us as an anti-tax state, we do a little cut every year. All right. So this is the time where we try to restore your faith in humanity. You've stuck with us throughout the show. We've talked about some tough stuff and your eyes may have glazed over when it comes to taxes. But right now, stick with me because, you know, I was born and raised in in a small town, USA, in, in Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania. I know the profound impact a spaghetti dinner fundraiser can have on a marching band, on a cheer squad. But for today's Faith in Humanity, I'm taking you to a small town in Maine where we meet 95-year-old Barbara. Barbara trusts people. So when a con man convinced her that she won second place in a publisher's clearinghouse contest with a prize of two and a half million and a Mercedes Benz, she believed him. But this was a scam. And the only thing she got was an empty bank account after the criminal stole $16,000, which was Barbara's life savings. Barbara talked about it to a news reporter because she wanted to prevent someone else from falling for the same scam. The governor of Maine saw the story and was able to put together a spaghetti dinner fundraiser for Barbara with 60 pounds of noodles, 17 gallons of sauce, and a dozen cases of vegetables. The goal was not to have any food left behind at the end of the night, and Barry, they did it. 400 people came out, attended the fundraiser. They raised a whopping 18,000, which is even more than what she was swindled out of. That's awesome. And it was just absolutely amazing to see the generosity and the community coming together to help one of their own. Yeah, that's that's a great story. I love always that. love having people help each other in the community. Yeah, because you can do it. Yeah. And it doesn't take much, and it's a sp- spaghetti dinner, and 
Those are delicious. <laughs> those, along with the Friday fish fries. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know what? I, it takes a lot to put this show together. So again, I want to thank Barry for helping me all week long as Bruce is off. You guys there on the other side of the glass, thank you so much to you. And Bob McClay, who is sticking around. He's not going anywhere right now. He's got your news. He's got your traffic. He's got your weather. He's got it all together for you in the KTAR Noon News Expansion. That's coming up next. Have a great day.